you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 because we are going to wrap up a series entitled Redeeming Relationships. Redeeming Relationships. This is where we've been in the month of October. Today we'll finish this up looking ultimately at God's character so that it shapes our relationships. And today we'll look at another aspect of God's character. And as we see this, it's going to cause you to worship Him, but it's also going to cause a shaping of your relationships with others. If you see your notes there in front of you today, one of the things it says at the top is that God is a redeemer of relationships. He's really the redeemer of relationships. And we're going to see this again today, that God takes relationships that are broken and he works to restore them. He will even do that today with you. I'm confident of that. He'll take a relationship with you and God that is broken and he will redeem and restore that. And over the month of October, we've looked at this idea that God is committed to us. Even though we are these self-centered people that want what we want, God is committed to us. A few weeks back then, Pastor Cyrus spoke about how God is a forgiver, and that gives us reason then to forgive others. Two weeks ago, we heard from Marty Trammell, and he talked about how God is a romancer, and that he has great love for us. He's dancing over us even now. He loves us. Last week, Dylan shared with us how God is a pursuer, and then today I want to look at an idea that God has a bride, and he seeks to purify her. God has a bride, and he seeks to purify her, and I just want to say a special thank you to Cyrus and Marty and Dylan for giving me some time to catch up on some things and to uh, just get a, a breath of fresh air, come up for air, so to speak, and so thanks, fellas. But today we'll look at this idea that God has a bride and he seeks to purify her. The bride of Jesus, the bride of God is the church. It's not this building. He's not married to a building, but he's married to a people. He's married to ones who said, you know what? I have a need for a savior. I I have a need for God's love. And when we trusted Christ, we entered a marriage relationship with God. And what he does then in this relationship is that he purifies us. He makes us clean. He beautifies us. He makes us holy or set apart. God, you see, struck up a covenant with his people and he said, okay, here's the situation. I love you. Do you love me? Remember those notes in grade school? Maybe you did this. I love you. Do you love me? Yes, no, maybe. Sneak it over before the teacher sees and you're hoping to get the response back. God does the same thing and he says, I love you. Do you love me? In fact, he says, I will love you. I'm going to be committed to you. And this is what I desire from you, the same commitment a love for me. And so God, what he does is he seeks to purify his bride because he's committed to us, seeks to purify his bride because he has forgiven us and does forgive us, and he has romanced us, and he does, and he, and he pursues us, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me today to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, page 978, Chris, would you go look into that, please, that's going to be a little annoying if we have to deal with that all day, Ephesians chapter 5. Page 978, you know, when you live in this neighborhood, you never know what's going to happen here. So somebody's banging on the door. All right, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. 
Doug's ready for some backup just in case. Thanks, buddy. All right, I'm going to want to see this. But, uh, oh, my land. You're right, Chris. Hello, Doug, sir. Thank- hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hello. Come on up here with me. My name's Scott. and. My name is Martin. Your name's Martin. All yes, right. I, I was just going through the neighborhood, posting my messages on church doors. Oh, okay. Martin, where are you from? 1517. What street? Oh, no, that's is the year. 1517. Oh, okay. I'm from Germany. Oh, okay. Well, this is the year 2017, 500 years later, United States of America. Welcome, buddy. 500 years. Is 500 that, years? Yeah, 500 years. Yeah, 500 Amazing. years later. And you must have gone into uh, Marty McFly's time machine or something. So. Anyway, hey, good. Good to see you. Uh, why were you banging on the door out there? Was well, it Scott, no, after a thorough study of God's word, hmm. I have written 95 statements speaking against the Roman church, their corrupt leadership, mm-hmm. and the errors that they are propagating. Yeah, yeah we've heard about this. And uh, would you remind us a little bit about what some of those 95 were? We don't want to hear all 95. I'm going to preach a message here. but It's a big one. The church tells people their sins can be forgiven if they pay money to them. Mm. These so-called indulgences. Mm. But the church and all people need to know that it is through faith in Jesus Christ alone that we receive forgiveness and salvation and all spiritual life. Amen. We do high fives when we agree. Right here, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That means we, I agree with that. Christ alone. In fact, what you started is known as the Protestant Reformation. And uh, we just want to say thank you for uh, being a part of that. It wasn't just me. Uh, John Wycliffe and Jan mm-hmm. Hus, Peter Valdo, and others before me mm. were used mightily by God. Yeah. And Ulrich Zwingli over in Switzerland. Ah, Switzerland. Yeah, Zwingli, good. Actually, there are some good people coming after you too. John Calvin, John Knox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Other than speak the scripture, Hmm. we do nothing. God's word does everything. Yeah, amen, amen. Hey, uh, I'm going to ask you to leave here in a minute uh, because I got something going on. But before you leave, can I take a little selfie with you? Selfie? Yeah. Uh, but Jesus tells us to deny ourselves in order to follow him. No, no photo, photo. Oh, I want to okay. take a photo. This oh, is a camera. A portrait, self-portrait. Yeah, yeah, self-portrait. All right. I will do this thing for you. Okay, thank you. All right, we're going to do this. Church, you can say cheese. You can get in my selfie with Martin Luther. Cheese. Let's even do it. Yeah. Let's try it this way, too. Oh. Get more people in. Man, this is fast. An honor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it really is. All right. Cheese. Cheese. All right. Okay. Anyway, let me say that. Okay. Anyway. Hey, uh, certainly you can stick around and join us today. Um, uh, no, but thank you. I have other churches to visit. Uh, someone told me there's a Lutheran church over this way. <laughs> I want to check on those folks. There is. There but is. Maybe later. Would Good you night. come back at the end of the service? We'd love to uh, pick your brain and chat with you. Okay. Okay. All right. God yep. bless you, Martin. God bless you. Thanks for coming Auf by, buddy. Yeah, what a nice visitor to have today. Woo. This Tuesday, uh, October 31st, is the 500th anniversary of when Martin Luther was pounding on that church door in Wittenberg, Germany talking about uh, the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church. And this is a significant moment for us as Christians. Before we get into this passage today, uh, what Martin Luther was doing is there was a lot of bad religion in the day. 
And God was using people like Martin Luther to help purify the church, to clean up the church. And uh, the church was corrupt in many ways. As I was thinking about that this week and the corruption in the church, I thought two quick thoughts that I want to share with you uh, regarding this. One, each of us needs to read our Bible on our own. Don't let this be the only time you open your Bible. All right. Uh, we need to read the Bible. Back in the day, 1517, not everybody has the copies of this. The church leaders do. They're telling people, you want forgiveness, then you need to pay money or bring me Reese's peanut butter cups or something like that. And, and a lot of corruption happened because of this. Martin's reading the Bible and saying, wait a second, it's through faith in Christ alone where we receive forgiveness. So you read your Bible on your own. In fact, if you look on your notes today, on the back of your notes, it says where we're at in the New Testament. There are five fantastic chapters I would encourage you to read today. We're finishing off the book of Hebrews 11, 12, and 13. Great chapters there. James 1 and 2, fantastic chapters those are five all-star chapters right there that I would encourage you to read. Second thing I was thinking about when we were considering the corruption of the church that Martin Luther was protesting against, uh, and this is one of the reasons we have our quarterly huddles. At our quarterly huddles, which we'll have again tonight at 5 o'clock, uh, we get together and we share, hey, here's the, some of the status of the church with ministries and with our finances and things like that, where you get a chance to ask questions. And so we don't want to keep you in the dark. And if you have questions about what's going on in the church, the huddle's a good time to do that. Certainly you can call or email us anytime and ask some of those. But tonight would be a good time because we do not want to keep you in the dark. Five o'clock tonight. Uh, one more thought then on the Reformation as it ties into our passage today is that these men, whether it was Luther or Calvin or Zwingli or as I was listening to Gutenberg, and he's the one who invents the printing press where the Bible is made, uh, they can make copies of the Bible more readily. It's the fact that God uses ordinary people. If we're available for him, he uses ordinary people then to do great things. Uh, even the story of Gutenberg, who makes this printing press, he, you know, he started by making coins and things like that. And before long, God says, oh, I got a great use for you. And because of this, we have copies of the Bible and languages all over the world. And so uh, this is part of God purifying his church. This is part of God saying, I have this bride, the church, I care for her, and I want the best for her. And so when we talk about the Bible, and we'll get to Ephesians 5 here in just a moment, when we get to the Bible, it's really one book with just one story. Sometimes you think the Bible's got all these stories, and there's a story of Jonah and Noah and Daniel and all these guys. But really the Bible's about one story. It's about God and his bride. It's about God and humanity. This is what this book is all about. It's about the faithful God and the wayward wife. And we are the wayward wife. We're the ones that God says, I love you. I'm going to be committed to you. And you and I say, and all of humanity has done this. Now nah, I don't need you. I want other lovers. I want somebody else to give my heart to. And the Bible is really of this one story of the faithful God and the wayward wife. To the point that God says, okay, I'm going to secure this bride for me. I'm going to secure you that I'm going to give my only son. Your sins are so bad. You're, you are so bad off that I'm going to have to give my very best gift for you, my son, to secure you, to rescue you, to redeem you, to restore you. 
And so today what I want to share with you as we look at this character trait about God, certainly we will use the uh, word marriage, we'll talk about marriages, but really this is about God and how we see his love and his work to purify every single one of us. Ephesians chapter 5, hopefully no one's going to knock on the door anymore. Page 978, let's start at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her or make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy, set apart, and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. I'm going to look at this today and this idea that Jesus and God, he is going to go after his bride and seek to purify her. And then that has a response for us, especially those of us who are husbands. But let's go all the way up in chapter 5, up to verse 1. Let's go up to verse 1, if you would, real quickly. Chapter 5, verse 1, it starts with the word, therefore. Whenever you see that, you got to figure out what it's there for. Now he's tying it into chapter 4. In chapter 4, he says, you know, God has saved us. It was by faith. It wasn't anything we did. We were given a new heart. We were given a new identity. That's kind of the first few chapters. We get to chapter 5, therefore, be imitators of God. Every single one of you who call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, you be imitators of God as beloved children. That's your identity statement. And walk or live in love as, catch this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So every one of us should be looking to this model of Jesus, how he loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so we see in chapter 5 here that God sacrifices for his bride. He says, I love you so much that I'm going to give my son. We see this in 5.1. We see this later in verse 25. To purify her, to clean her up. Now let me just say this. What happens is when you and I believed for the very first time, and maybe that was last week, or maybe that when, that, when you were a little kid, when you first believed, you became holy and righteous in his sight. All right? This is your standing before God is that you were holy. You and I know this about yourself and myself is we still struggle. We still have problems. We still have sinful thoughts, sinful actions. And so what, what, this is not only a one-time standing, but this is a process where God is saying, I'm going to, in this process, make you clean and purify you and make you holy. And so a couple ways we can look at this passage. Certainly we can look at this as husbands. Some of you are husbands today in this room and it says, you know what, we have a role then to care for our bride. And ultimately we have an example, example of a perfect husband, Jesus Christ, sacrificed for us and he served. If you're writing down two words, husbands, you could write sacrifice and serve. Sacrifice and serve. 
doesn't mean that uh, I know you might say, you know what, I'd take a bullet for my wife. Yeah, it, it does mean that. But it could also mean you're going to get off the couch and actually sacrifice and serve around your home for her good, for her development. But as we look at this passage today, it's for the bride of Christ. It's not just for husbands here. We've got some things to do. But this is for the bride of Christ. This is for every single one of us who say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. All believers. Now, women could sit there and say, you know what? I can see being called a bride and a bride of Christ. And that's a great name. I can, I can take that on myself. I've even heard some ladies whose husbands have passed away say, you know what, my husband, my earthly husband has passed away. I'm really married to Jesus. That makes sense. But for men to say, I'm a bride, that sounds a little weird. Let's just acknowledge that, that it's weird for a guy to say, "Uh, I'm a bride of Jesus. That sounds a little weird. But the truth of the matter is that we are married to God. There is this God who loved us. There is this God who purchased us. And even as a man, I can say, I am married then to Jesus Christ for what he has done to secure that marriage. But it begs the question, what is marriage? And I want to share a few thoughts with you today. What is marriage? If you are married, this might help you. If you're going to be married, this could help you. Even if you're not married, this is going to help you understand more about our relationship with God. First of all, we'll say that God designed marriage. He puts Adam in the garden and he puts Eve in the garden. He says, you two will become one. This is the idea of marriage. But let's write down five thoughts. One, marriage is a relationship to explain a spiritual truth. Marriage is a relationship to explain a spiritual truth. God is saying, here's what I'm doing. I am marrying this invisible God is marrying a group of people. That's kind of hard to see. I haven't seen too many wedding pictures of that one. Hard one to visualize. But if marriage is to explain a spiritual truth, even when we get married and we have pictures, here's the bride and here's the groom and here's the wedding party and the family, we can see this and say this is really an image of what this is like, that there is this beautiful Jesus Christ who has a bride that he is purifying for himself. Even this morning, I thought, I'm going to look and see, do I have any other wedding pictures on my computer? And I've got one with my wife and myself and my parents and grandma and this and that. And it was like, okay, this is really a picture of Jesus Christ who would have this bride. And oh, my bride, she looked so beautiful that day. And this is what Jesus is doing to purify his own bride. It's to explain a spiritual truth. Secondly, in God's wisdom, he also created marriage to provide a space for multiplication. All right? Just, we we can start figuring out what we're talking about here. He says, this is where I want multiplication to happen. I want a man who's committed to this wife, and I want this wife committed to this husband. And in this space, this is where multiplication is to happen. They're going to have some babies. All right? This is God's design. It says marriage is designed to provide this space. It's really, though, if you sit there and think of the spiritual truth, there is committed God and a committed bride working together to make disciples. 
Again, it's a, a picture to explain a spiritual truth of God and his bride making disciples, which is uh, our aim to do. Thirdly, we can say this, in marriage where there would be offspring, God designed marriage as a primary place to teach the next generation. That God designed this to be the primary place to teach the next generation. Primary place to teach the next generation is not children's ministry. Though that is valuable and that's a good place, that's not the primary place. A Christian school would be a good place, but that's not the primary place. Send them off to a camp is a good place, but that's not the primary place. God said, I'm going to have this committed man and this committed wife, that they would be married, and this would be the primary place to teach the next generation. Again, if you think of this in spiritual terms, here's committed God and a committed bride, and they will invest in others. They will invest in others. Fourth thought on this is certainly marriage was designed as a relationship to enjoy companionship. Yeah, that one makes sense. God designed this, that this would be a place where we would enjoy companionship. Here's Adam in the garden originally, a bunch of animals, and he says, you know what? He needs somebody who's made in the image of God as well so that they could have special companionship. And so God gave Adam Eve. And the idea is that this committed God and a committed bride would enjoy each other. It's a spiritual truth. That you would enjoy God. And God, as we've heard about in the previous weeks, that he is rejoicing and dancing over us and saying, I really enjoy you. I really do. It's a picture of this. Lastly, marriage is a relationship then to grow in godly character. Let's write this down. A relationship to grow in godly character. So I was thinking about this. I thought, okay, you don't need much help in understanding that marriage is a place for multiplication. Okay, you get that one. Or you don't need much help to understand that this is a place for companionship. But this point here, to grow in godly character, maybe we need to think through this one a bit. God gave us marriage. He gave us a spouse to help us grow in our dependence on God. God gave us a spouse to help us grow in our own faithfulness. God gave you a spouse to help you grow in patience and forgiveness. Can I get an amen? Yeah. God says, I've designed marriage ultimately that you would grow in your character. And God, who's perfect in faithfulness and forgiveness and patience, he's seeking to purify every single one of us in those areas. And one of the great classrooms for God to do this work is in marriage. Let's consider this. Whether it's in marriage or in life, because some of you are saying, I'm not married, I haven't been, or I won't be again, or whatever it is, I'm not married. That's fine. In marriage and in life, God is chiefly concerned with our holiness. Would you write this down and consider this with me? Whether it's in your marriage or just in life in general, every single one of this applies to, God is chiefly concerned with our holiness. That we would be people who'd be set apart for his purposes. That we would be people who are purified. That we would be people that he is growing to be more beautiful for his glory. And so what he wants to do is he wants to grow each of us. He wants to cleanse each of us. He wants to set each of us apart for himself. 
And he desires that each of us, whether we're married or not, or have been married or may get married, God works to purify a bride for himself. He's doing this in you. And he says, I want to purify you. I, I want to do this in you. I want, I'm concerned with your holiness. I'm concerned with your heart. I'm concerned with your character. Let's be honest, though. Even though God is interested in our holiness, you and I are more concerned about our happiness, right? You and I are like, okay, I just want to be happy today. I just want to be happy this week. The person I might marry hopefully will make me happy. I mean, I was thinking about this. Why did many of us get married of the five reasons we've listed before, we probably started with, well, there's going to be a, a space for multiplication. Woo! That's one of the reasons why we're going to get married. And then, well, you know, I want, I want to enjoy some companionship, too. I was thinking about this when I was just a sophomore in college, and I meet Angela, and and I'm thinking, wow, she's wonderful, and we start dating, and we get engaged and all of this. I was thinking, great space for multiplication, enjoy some companionship. What was not on my mind that I can recall was, you know what? This is really going to help me grow in character and help me grow in holiness. Just wasn't thinking like that. I don't think she was either. She's like, oh, man, God is going to grow my character and my holiness being married to this guy. All right. We may not have realized this when we signed up for marriage, that God desires to grow us, to purify us, our own sinfulness, our own sinful desires. And frankly, when we start thinking that marriage is primarily about happiness, oh boy, you and I, we get discouraged. We want out. It's like, I'm not happy anymore. And God said, I really didn't design marriage for your happiness. I'm hoping that there is some of that, but really, I designed it for your holiness. Hmm. There have been many times where, though Angela and I have been married 25 years, it's just, uh, there are some times that I'm just not happy. And she'd say, oh, there's actually a whole lot more times where she's not happy. But it's really not about our happiness. Hopefully there is some happiness in that. But is God growing our character? Is that really what he wants? Is this really a place where if you would sit and talk with us, we'd say, let me just tell you that our marriage is really a picture of a great spiritual truth. That while one is self-centered and unfaithful and selfish and all of this, fortunately there was one who was faithful holding it together at times. This is really the picture of God in us. That though we are unfaithful and say, God, I really want other lovers. I want somebody else other than you. He says, I'm staying faithful to you. As I was thinking about this, I thought there is a story of a marriage made in heaven, and it's not really my marriage. That, I don't know if that one was made in heaven. But there is one in the Bible, and I just want you to write this down. You can look this up this week, and it's a man named Hosea. Hosea. You find this in the Old Testament, and 
God was married to this group of people called Israel. And he's saying, I love you and I'm showing this, but you keep loving other things, other people. So God one day says, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want to show what marriage is truly like. And I want you to go marry a promiscuous woman. I want you to marry one that will not be faithful to you. I want you to start a family with her, but I want you to know this. She's going to be, she has been, and she will be promiscuous. And she won't love you like you should. And to make things worse, her name is Gomer. All right? (laughs) You got to marry Gomer. (laughs) But this is what God says. He says, you marry her, and you have kids with her, and it's going to be difficult And Hosea, there are going to be times where you say, this is too tough, I want out, and you are not going to get out. And you're going to tell the people through your marriage that God is faithful even though we are not. You read this this week. In the first couple chapters, you read most of this, and then there's just this great rant on the nation of Israel, how they have been unfaithful to God. And the command was, go have kids with her. She's going to be unfaithful. She'll remain unfaithful. But the picture is that God is faithful. He's committed to keep purifying and seeking out his bride. God said, I'm going to teach you some things, Hosea, about me. And I'm going to teach you some things about yourself. And this is going to be taught to teach others as well. I'll tell you, Hosea, as I was thinking of this, he had to depend on God. He's like, this is so hard. People are saying bad things about my wife, but it's actually true things about my wife. This is so hard being married to her. And he's like, you're going to have to depend on me, Hosea. Hosea, what he was doing is really living out the story of God and us. As I was looking at this, I thought, God, what he could have done and what he should have done is he should have divorced every single one of us, right? He says, I love you. I'm going to be committed to you. And every single one of his seeds say, you know what? You, you haven't been faithful to me. I should dump you by the wayside. God would have the right to do that. From my point of view, for God, this marriage is difficult. He's like, this isn't working. But to secure this marriage, he said, okay, I'm going to give my son And I'm going to rescue them. And I'm going to change their hearts. I'm not just going to try to change their behavior. But I'm going to change their hearts. It's a spiritual change that's going to take place. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, okay, my prayer really is that as we would think about even this story with Hosea, that we would worship God. Instead of maybe complain about our marriages or whatever, that we just consider, wait a second, God has been faithful to me. Let me just stop there. And say, thank you, God, to worship God. My prayer is that as we look at this story, it would shape our relationships. Instead of saying, I can't believe somebody hurt me, I want revenge, we'd say, wait a second. God, I have hurt you so many times, and yet you've remained faithful to me. You have not divorced me. You have not left me. I would hope that it would shape our relationships. For the people that, man, they're not meeting my needs. They're not loving me. They're nagging on me. Wait a second. I have done the exact same things a hundred times worse to God himself. And he stayed faithful to me. 
So as I'm looking at this passage in Ephesians 5, it does say something about husbands. So I thought, well, let's talk about husbands loving their wives. Let's spend some time doing this. Husbands loving their wives. Men, husbands, let me talk to you for a moment while I'm talking to myself as well. Trust me, I've looked over this multiple times, spoke this at first service, so I'm getting tired of this message, frankly. But we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Our aim, the eternal good of our wife and the glory of God. The etern- aim is to, for the eternal good of my wife. I just don't think like that. Let's just be honest. I get home and think, I want to watch a ball game. And I'd like the food even brought to me if I could. I'll take out the trash during, you know, seventh inning stretch or something like that. But do I think, wait a second, her eternal good, she too is married to Christ. Do I want to present her to God the best I possibly can? There will be a time when this life is over and God will say, okay, let me see what you did with Angela. Like, well, I had her cook for me. One day I took the kids to school so she didn't have to. Does she look more beautiful and radiant and holy because of your time spent with her? My aim, the eternal good for my wife and the glory of God. Let me share some other things. You can write these down, fellas, if you want. Be selfless and sacrifice. Selfless and sacrifice. Again, you would say, I'd take a bullet for my wife. She's not necessarily needing you to do that. She's just saying, get off the couch, you know, help out around the house. Selfless, it's sacrifice. But let's write this down, that it takes supernatural power from God. Take supernatural power from God. Don't sit there and make a to-do list, husbands, and go, okay, this week I'm going to do these things. I can do it. I'll wake up early. I'll do this. Listen, you can't do this. You are trying to purify a bride. You're going to need the help of God. Say, God, help me, because I'm a self-centered, lazy slacker. Frankly, I'm adulterous. Would you empower me to love my wife as Christ loved the church? You can't do this on your own. Men, be tender and compassionate with words and with touch. The problem is we're usually harsh with our words. Be tender and compassionate. Pray with your wife and pray for her. I'm just going to say this one's tough for me. This is a struggle. Prayer is a very intimate thing. And sometimes that's difficult, especially when we're having, you know, uh, some conflict, intense fellowship, okay? <laughs> I love that phrase. To pray with her. But every time she appreciates it, when I say, let's pray. Or on her way out to work or before I go to work, can I pray for you? What's going on in your day today? How can I pray for you? She says, oh, thank you. That really blessed me. And it's amazing how many times I would rather pray with some of you than to pray with my own wife. Pray with her. Pray for her. Again, this takes the supernatural power from God to do this. Share. Share how you are growing. You see, when I sit there and talk with my wife and say, you should have just seen what happened in the baseball game. This team was down by two and this happened and this happened. She's like, wah, 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 wah. She, she doesn't get baseball too much. And if I talk football, she totally does not understand. 
But when I say, let me tell you what I was reading in a parenting book, she's like, oh, yeah, love to hear that. We need all the help we can get. We're not done. <laughs> or if I say, hey, let me share with you some things I'm reading in my Bible. She loves that. This is a way to love your wife, to listen to her. Oh, I like to solve her problems. Husbands, we're good at this, right? She says what her problems are, and I'm like, okay, three steps. We get this thing solved, and we can get out of here. I can get back to the game. She's like, I just want you to listen to me. Don't even say anything. Just listen. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Here's another one, pursuing God yourself. You just pursue God. As Dylan was talking about last week, your wife wants you to pursue God and grab her hand because there are days she doesn't feel like pursuing God. You pursue God. Lead her. Encourage her. Lead her and encourage her to worship God, to focus on God. Even this Wednesday night, we're going to have a worship time here. What if the husband said, honey, we should go to that. I know I really don't like singing or whatever, but I know you really do. And it would be good for our hearts to connect to God. I'll come home from work early. What if, what if there were conversations like that where you as a husband and I as a husband were leading our wives and encouraging them to worship God, whether it's through singing or through reading his word, whatever that is. Lastly, I'll give you one more. Care for your family. By providing and serving. Some of you do a great job of this, providing, and you work really hard. Okay, good job, and you serve. Caring for your family. Sometimes caring for your family is leave work a little early so that you can care for your family. Care for your family. Care for your kids. Angela likes it when I say, you know what, this time I'll do the dishes here. I'll take the kids to school here. Wow, thanks for caring for me. You see, ultimately, our model is Jesus. He gives himself up completely. This is our model. And frankly, now for everyone who's not married or is not a husband, we look and say, oh, God, you are the perfect husband. Let me finish then with this today by talking to, no, not the wives. You might think that. Let's save that for another day. Let's talk to the church. Let's talk to us. The church loving their Christ. Husbands, yes, you love your wife. Let's talk about us, the church loving their Christ. This is for all of us. Our eternal spouse is Jesus. Our eternal spouse is Jesus. He gave himself up for us. And whether you're physically married or not, Jesus He's committed to you. He is forgiven you and forgiving you. He is romancing you. He is pursuing you. He is purifying you. He's redeeming you and me. He's working through us then to redeem a lost world. And our call is to love this Christ, to love Jesus Christ and say, oh man, you are the perfect spouse, the perfect lover of my soul. Ah, I'll give you my life in return. My hope is that we would worship, that we would just give our lives back to him, becoming ones who are defined by his redeeming love.
His redeeming love. That's what defines us. I'm going to ask if you would to just bow your head and close your eyes with me for a minute to reflect. Or maybe if you want to take a note, you do that. Give you some space for God to speak some more into your heart. Husbands, let's consider our role. The eternal good of our wife. Wow. Not just the good for her this week, but the eternal good of our wife. How are we showing love to her? Church, we are called to love our Christ, our Jesus. And we can sit here and say, man, I have failed that spouse over and over and over. Yeah, we all have. You're not the only one. We all have failed him. I've failed him. And he's committed to us. And he has forgiven us. And he's pursuing us, even right now. He's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. I love you. I've always loved you. I can forgive even that. And I'm purifying you. I am. Let me. Don't run from me. Open your arms up to me. Let me purify you and cleanse you. Oh, and there will be a great wedding banquet we'll have one day. But in this time right now, I'm molding you and shaping you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time today with my brothers and sisters. And I thank you for your word. And I thank you for who you are. We could just revel in your goodness about your faithfulness, your commitment to us, the work that you are doing in us. You should have given up on us a long time ago, and I'm grateful that you haven't. Heavenly Father, empower us to be ones who would love you with all of our hearts. We need your strength. I pray especially for the husbands like myself that you would strengthen us, that we would go to you every day and throughout the day and say, help me become the husband that you desire for me to be. And God, we just admit and confess, oh, we have failed so much. But I thank you that you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and that you are purifying us. So continue to do that. Strengthen me that I would be a better husband. Strengthen these husbands that they would be better husbands. Strengthen all of us that we would be people who are committed to you, looking to you as we leave here today even, that we would go from here today just understanding that We are married to you because of what you have done. We're still married to you because of your faithfulness. God, change us and shape our relationships for your glory, for the sake of others. 
And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus.